This is episode number three with Rob Toomey, president of Type Coach. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and I'm so thrilled to be sharing this episode with you today. Have you ever taken your Myers-Briggs personality assessment? Do you remember the combination of four letters that were assigned based on your results? Well, if you enjoy learning about your personality type and how it can benefit you in your life, then you're going to love today's guest. Rob Toomey is the president of Type Coach. He is a dynamic speaker and an executive coach who works with leaders around the world. In the past 12 years, Rob has delivered sessions to more than 30,000 participants, primarily within large multinational firms. The sessions are designed to teach the unique skill of determining the personality type of others based on clues and behavior with the goal of adjusting one's communication style accordingly. These skills allow for greater influence, leadership, engagement, and ultimately drive real business results. In addition, more than 110,000 people have experienced the Type Coach online tools from 600 client organizations. Rob was previously a corporate attorney in Boston for five years. That's actually how we met. It was at the law firm. I was the director of marketing, and Rob was one of the attorneys. And one of our mutual friends introduced us when she knew that I was getting qualified to administer Myers-Briggs. So if you're curious what learning type will do for you, basically at the heart of it, type teaches you when you know yours, how you get your energy, how you take in and process information, how you make decisions and why, and how you choose to structure your life. So to be sure that your assessment is clear, Rob and I will be walking you through the different categories on the podcast, but he's being super generous and taking it one step further. He's offered a freebie to my audience for a limited time, which is access to his suite of four products. And this is a $100 value, so it's super generous of him. Uh, You'll be able to access all that information on the show notes page at thegoodlifecoach.com. Just go to episode number three, and all of the details will be there. Let's get into the show. Hey, Rob, welcome. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? Good. I'm excited to be here. So excited to have you here. So for the listeners that aren't familiar with you and your company, could you take a couple minutes to tell us about what your business does and how you got started? Absolutely. So uh, I guess it goes back to when my wife and I met in college. Uh, She was a psychology major and started telling me about this whole world of personality type. And I approached it with a great deal of skepticism initially. And then it started to make sense. We started to look at our friends and family through this particular lens and all sorts of patterns jumped out and uh, insights turned on. 
And we sort of stayed with that. I went to law school, became a lawyer. Uh, that's where you and I met. Yes. Uh, she was a teacher. But we never stopped talking about this topic of personality type. And at one point, we basically were told by all of our friends and family, you really need to pursue this with your professional career as well. Uh, so 13 years ago, that's what we did. We saved up some money um, and basically launched our business. And we basically have turned a very popular methodology uh, of personality type into a communication system. That's our sort of unique approach. Uh, people see applications to all aspects of their lives. You know, if I'm communicating with someone who's very different from me, what are the uh, clues for spotting that uh, difference? And then more importantly, what are the adjustments that I can make? Uh, and then from there, once people have this sort of foundational understanding of who they are and how to communicate, uh, they see all sorts of other applications. So, you know, stress management, you know, career choice, career selection, uh, overall satisfaction in life, uh, both personally and professionally. I invite people whenever they're going through one of our workshops uh, to think actively about not only their colleagues in the workplace, but you know, people from their personal lives as well. If you can get uh, insight into that realm, you'll have just as much uh, sort of value from the experience of learning. Yeah, that's great. And for those who aren't familiar with what your company does, can you talk more about the product sure. that you offer? Yeah, so we've, yep. <laughs> we've got four programs on our site. So our uh, our transition really was from doing a lot of you know, live training programs and executive coaching. Uh, five years ago, we approached our largest client at the time and said, hey, we, wa we want to build out this online portfolio. Uh, and they said, we want you to as well. So they, they basically funded the development of what's now our whole online portfolio. So there's a verification program that helps people figure out their own preferences on the four dimensions of a personality that we sort of look at. Uh, and then the thing that's driving our business right now the most is this cool type to type tool where you know I see my whole team displayed on there if I'm in a group. And when I click on Sarah, it gives me communication advice based on the unique combination of our two personalities. That's so cool. I've actually played with that tool on your website, I have to confess, because I was so intrigued by it. But um, you know, what might be helpful is to take the audience through the different type preferences so that they can maybe have a sense of the language we're talking and then apply it to themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what I'll do for those listeners who are already quite familiar with the material, you can probably uh, skip ahead maybe two minutes. I'll just do a quick uh, run through. And, you know, the uh, the framework is actually the one originally developed by Carl Jung and then further uh, sort of expanded by Isabel Myers, who have then what, of course, uh, became famous for the Myers-Briggs uh, methodology. Uh, so we're using the same framework as that sort of uh, traditional indicator. We kind of modernized it a bit. So we use videos and animations on our site to explain the preferences. So we're talking about extroversion versus introversion. Uh, we have a belief that you have a preference for one side or the other. Um, you spend time doing both, but one's your home base. Um, you know, for those of you trying to figure this out for yourself, um, one way to think about it is socially, but I think actually the better way to think about it is around problem solving. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, are you the kind of person who wants to talk through a complex situation or think through a complex situation? Uh, and extroverts, they kind of need to talk to think. Uh, the, there's actually brain scans now that show the uh, neurochemical differences in the brain between extroverts and introverts. And it shows that for extroverts, the act of talking is really stimulating for their thinking. And for introverts, their preferred style is to go inside and quietly reflect and then you know, come out with a sort of polished mes message. Uh, on the social piece, in case it's helpful for people uh, considering that one, 
Uh, I think that introverts can be the life of the party. The difference is they find that experience to be a draining experience Mm -hmm. as opposed to extroverts who sort of warm up and gain energy by being surrounded uh, by those around them. Uh, So that would be the extrovert-introvert piece. Um, I don't know, Michelle, do you want me to pause and, and see if you have thoughts or questions on that? Um, actually, yeah. So as you were talking, I was thinking, so I'm qualified to administer the Myers-Briggs. And I think one of the reasons that we have always stayed in touch and enjoyed our conversations is that we could get into depth about type and really understanding how valuable a tool it is to help people, um, communicate. So I think of when you're talking about an extrovert needs to talk out loud, I think of myself. And then when you're talking about an introvert, all I can think about is my husband. So I can come home and really need to like talk about my day and really process. And what he needs is quiet, (laughs) which, you know, understanding the type is useful for that. What's interesting is this works with kids too. So Mm -hmm. a lot of extrovert uh, moms and dads out there will recognize that, you know, their introvert kid will have just spent a very intense day out in the world. And what they need most is some quiet time and reflection time when they get home. So mm. bombarding them as they walk across the door into the house is not uh, ideal. A lot of parents have said, you know, I just let them go upstairs. They spend 15, 30 minutes upstairs and then they come down and they're ready to decompress and share. Uh, it's just a different timing and process for, for the extroverted kid. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I think... Um, I think that's the challenge that some parents have is that they maybe have their kid overscheduled and their kid really needs some downtime, but they're not aware. So that's so good, Rob. So now that we have a sense of extrovert versus introvert, how do you help somebody distinguish? Yeah, so it's really about where we get our energy. So uh, if you think about the way I was characterizing the social environments or thinking about problem solving, which one comes more naturally to you? in general. And it's always important to point out that, you know, we spend a lot of time doing various different activities and I'll go through the other aspects of personality. It's even more true for them that, you know, you really use your brain depending on the situation, not based on your preference all the time. So introverts do social things, extroverts spend time alone, but thinking about it from an energy perspective and what you overall uh, would prefer uh, allows people to make the distinction. And, you know, there are some people who are really close to the line and, you know, the question for them is, Have you learned to become more social and extroverted in your style, or have you learned to be comfortable with that uh, quality alone time? And people, you know, go back to the sort of high school, college age and say, oh, yeah, you know, if I look at myself, then I can see that my preference was, you know, maybe towards the introverted style. And I've learned the benefits and the sort of how to on the extrovert side. But that means you're a natural introvert and you've learned as opposed to you switched over. Yeah, I think that's actually so important. So basically, it's like a continuum and you fall somewhere on there where somebody might uh, be more deeply an extrovert, right? Where they get their energies full on extroversion, whereas somebody might be on the other scale and somebody's more towards the middle. Does that make sense? Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. And what's interesting is if you put it into the context of communication, that's where it really gets interesting. So if someone's really close to the line, then it's not really that... Uh, apparent to me which one they are. And it's also less essential that I make an adjustment in my communication style to Mm -hmm. sort of accommodate for them. But if they're sort of turbo extrovert uh, and I'm an introvert, you know, now I've got uh, some work to do to make the connection uh, to get my message across. And the same thing is true for the three other aspects of personality. Like if we go into the next one, sensing and intuition, Mm -hmm. uh, this is how we take in and process information. And it's a pretty uh, significant difference in 
brain functioning. Uh, from our perception, you know, this is probably the biggest one in terms of communication gap. Uh, so if you got someone out on the edge of the sensing side, what that means is they're grounded, practical, realistic, focused on you know the the details of the moment as opposed to some future uh, date. And you know they tend to speak in more concise, uh, you know, sort of short to the point sentences with lots of details and tangible matters, uh, versus intuitives who are um, you know focused on the future, what might be the possibilities. Uh, it's very energizing for them to imagine if uh, to consider those future possibilities is um, a, a natural draw for them. Uh, and so, if you have a, a difference on this one. The translation that's required between these two, um, you know, components is quite significant. So, uh, you know, you and I, Michelle, both relate to the intuitive preference, which is that future possibilities piece. Mm -hmm. uh, but we only make up about a third of the population. That means that two thirds of the world needs us to translate our big picture pie in the sky uh, conceptual uh, stuff into practical, tangible things that would be uh, realistic for them in the here and now. And our failure to do that means that no one's going to buy into our idea. Uh, and we flip it around. So if someone's trying to influence us and they're on the sensing side, they have to show us how their uh, you know, current viewpoint of the here and now is going to be played out in the future. Uh, we make decisions based on sort of how is this going to work out down the road, not just right now. And so they have to translate uh, their perspective into language that we can understand. Okay. So that's so interesting. So... As you're talking, I'm thinking about different situations, both personally and professionally. So let's put it in a personal context just for a second. So if you're in relationship with somebody, whether it's your friends or your partner, your husband, and they're, um, you're an intuitor, for example, and they're a sensor, how does that impact how you need to communicate to get your needs met? Well, we'll need several hours for that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no simple yeah. fixes there. Okay. Yeah, it, well, so the short answer is people are putting their emphasis and their focus on different points in time. So often the, the difficulties will emerge when one person's focused on the current realities of what's happening right now, and the other one's uh, you know, thinking about where we're going to be in three to five years. And so there are two ships passing in the night about the same topic because one is viewing it not just in terms of right now, but down the road, and the other one is saying, down the road doesn't matter right now is what matters. Right. Uh, and so I think a lot of tension comes out of that, that when it's properly integrated, those two perspectives are incredibly complementary and powerful. Uh, but often people are really uh, focused on their own perspective to the exclusion of, or at least the, uh, they, they, they minimize the importance of the other perspective a great deal. Yeah. And let's do it on a professional angle then. So you mentioned that a third of the population are the intuitors. So if you're marketing, you're launching a new business, for example, you've got an idea you want to get out into the world and you're a big picture person, for example, and two thirds of the audience are the, you know, more of the sensing type. And so they need the detail. If I'm understanding you correctly, then your message can connect in the way that you need to, which is, okay, here's the big picture of where I'm going to get you, but then you have to get really tangible, right? And very specific about the value that you're going to be able to provide either by your product or service. Is that true? Yeah. You have to answer the how questions. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're going to be saying, all right, Rob, that sounds great, but how are we going to make that happen? Uh, and their buy-in occurs based on their review of the how. Whereas you and I would produce the buy-in based on our belief in the accuracy of the vision. 
you know, are we inspired by what we're hearing, not whether we think it's feasible giving our, given our starting point. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I think probably sometimes if you are an intuitor, you might feel a little lonely. Is that true? Like sometimes when you have this vision and people aren't maybe seeing it because you're not speaking their language, it's really just a matter of connecting to their language in order for them to get the support and the buy-in that you're looking for, maybe from family and friends. Well, yeah, I mean, now you're touching on something that I have enormous passion for. So, and it's not just the intuitive types. It's really anyone whose personality type does not match their cultural norm is going to feel what I call turbulence. You know, you're saying loneliness. It shows up in lots of different ways. Um, it's the sensation of not fitting. Uh, it's that sensation of I'm not, you know, like the other people around me. Uh, and that dissonance is really um, one of the most powerful things that personality type can help people explain. Uh, so when I talk to people who are, you know, some of the less common personality types in their population, uh, often it's this sort of peace of mind or acceptance that descends upon them by explaining why they've always sort of felt though as though, you know, people around them just didn't really hear or understand what they were saying. You know, I think about myself, you know, going back to my high school years and, you know, there's more than personality type to explain awkwardness in high school, but uh, you know, for me, my humor is very intuitive. I like to think of uncommon and unexpected uh, kinds of futuristic humor. And for all of my sensing friends, it just never made sense. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I thought it was hilarious. And, you know, after a while you start to, I got quiet. And I think this this notion of editing ourselves and pulling ourselves back from our natural style, our preferred way of being our true personalities uh, is a natural phenomenon, but it's not a good one. Uh, you know, I want to encourage people to flex the muscle that comes most naturally to them. Uh, and, you know, you know, what that ultimately means is understanding where you're uh, coming from relative to the people around you. Ideally, you find some supporting characters in your life, people who think your jokes are funny and you know, think that your, uh, your style and your approach makes sense to them as well. And that's part of the journey. Yeah, that's so good. I think you're funny. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I can I can relate to your humor, but but you know what? Actually, what you said is so valuable, and because I just can't help but thinking. I mean, so many people feel like sometimes that that they're that they are the outsider and that they don't fit in. But understanding that everyone has um, type preferences, it's just a preference. It doesn't it doesn't equate to who you are. It's just how your it's your orientation to the world, right? So what you were saying, how you get your energy, how you make your decisions. Um, and so by understanding that you can have compassion, not only for, for other people, but also for yourself and say, okay, I get it. Like they kind of speak a little bit of a different language. It's not a rejection of who I am as a person. It's just that they're, they, their orientation or the way that they perceive the world or the way that they are out, are out in the world is just a little bit different to the way that I, I process one of the, the biggest byproducts uh, that I've experienced personally in learning more about this whole methodology is tolerance and compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's very easy to judge other people with the same intentionality that we would have if we were in their situation. Uh, but because there's such different personalities out there, uh, it's a miss. Um, you know, blaming someone for behaving the way that you would only behave if you were super upset, um, you know, misses the point that that's actually sort of normal behavior for them. And, you know, I always make the distinction between an explanation and an excuse. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it certainly explains that they're coming at it from a completely different perspective. Um, And so my tolerance is way, way higher. 
Uh, and, you know, I think about all aspects of my life, you know, understanding that my dad's an introvert and I'm an extrovert. And so some of the ways that you know, we've worked together successfully to bridge that gap, it makes a big difference in terms of how I perceive the quality of my relationship with one of the most important people in my life. And I think uh, that framework allows people to see that. And, you know, I, I it's sort of a, kind of a cool um, truth in, my, in our work. You know, mostly we're working with organizations. You know, we're a business. We're making you know financial uh, benefits from our our client engagements. But uh, people are always saying to us that they feel as though the program is giving them more permission to be who they are, and that's immensely satisfying for me. You know, understanding my own personality type has, I think, really emboldened me <laughs> to be uh, a fuller version of myself. And you know, if if we can provide that insight to people. Uh, in whatever context it comes, whether it's you know people listening to this uh, session here today or attending a workshop, I want them to walk out feeling r- really great about themselves and turning up the volume on who they are. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that so much. Um, so let's go on to the next um, preference type. Yeah, so sensing and intuition. And, and those of you who f- fast-forwarded two minutes, you're, you're realizing it's taken us longer because we're talking about lots of related related things. So uh, yeah, so if you're trying to make the distinction between whether you're a grounded, practical, realistic sensing type or a future-focused, unconventional uh, idea person on the intuitive side, uh, one of the great personal questions for yourself is uh, the amount of specifics in conversations that you recall. Uh, and this will be kind of fun. So what we notice is that sensing types, when they're really paying attention, which isn't always granted, but when they're paying attention, they, they remember the exact words that were used. Uh, and so later they'll say, no, Rob, that's not what you said. What you said was, and I quote, and they could pull up the actual wording. Uh, intuitive types, even when they're listening really hard, what they're listening for is the meaning or the takeaway or the upshot of the words. Uh, so the words themselves are merely a vehicle for the meaning, and they're discarded upon entry into the intuitive's mind. Uh, and so later when it comes time for them to recall the specifics, they're like, well, I don't know exactly what you said. But what I heard was what you meant was, and they're able to extract the meaning from the conversation, but not the actual wording. Yeah, no, that's so good. I appreciate you summarizing that so that people can tune in and figure out which preference they're they're more aligned with and what resonates. Yeah, and it's by the way, it's very handy for sensing types in debates or disagreements to say, you know, you know here I actually have the transcript right here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're, we're at a disadvantage on the intuitive side. And, and I guess the other piece for those of you trying to sort this one for yourself is to ask yourself, which activity is more energizing? Um, do you find the act of figuring out the how, the steps, getting into execution mode to be the energizing part? Or do you find the imagining the future possibilities, turning the um, sort of what might be engine on in your head, the energizing part? You know, we, again, all have the capacity to do both, but one of them is going to be more energizing than the other. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, so the next um, preference. Sure. So thinking and feeling, this is our decision-making function. Uh, From a communication perspective, it's where people are putting the emphasis in the decision. Is it mostly focused on the people? How is this going to affect morale? How do I feel about it? Is this consistent with my values? And those are uh, coming at it from the feeling perspective. Or the thinking perspective, which is focused on the logic, the objective pros and cons of a circumstance. You know, on paper, what would anyone in this circumstance do? Uh, and, you know, those are two very different perspectives. I will say that most people, when they look at their uh, big sort of decisions in life, 
are most satisfied when they've considered it from both the thinking, logic, and the feeling sort of uh, values perspective to balance the two. Uh, so the question for those of you trying to figure out your own preference is not whether you do one or the other, but which one do you start with? Mm -hmm. uh, so this is the, the one spot where you and I differ, Michelle. So uh, I start out by doing the pros and cons analysis in my head and say, you know, overall, there's nine reasons why this is good, three reasons why it's bad, nine's more than three, so that's the right decision. Uh, and then I'll go to the part that you go to naturally, which is, you know, how is this going to impact the people involved? You know, is this consistent with my values? You know, just checking in with my gut, does this feel right? Um, and so, you know, you and I will both do both of these things, uh, but, you know, one of them will be our starting point and then the other one will be the, uh, the thing we remind ourselves to do. And that's actually so good because um, this is the one type when I'm trying to help. So I, I love helping people identify their type because I do think it's such a valuable tool. And this is the one that I have a hard time trying to give an example to. So you've just done it in such a good way. So you're basically saying we use both. It's which do we start with? And for sure, I start on the feeler side. Um, yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, you spent time in a law firm dealing with, you know, super powered attorneys. So their primary decision making uh, mode was thinking. Mm -hmm. And so you had to learn to speak that language if you wanted to be successful with them. And of course, you did extremely well. So it's not a question of capability. It's a question of preference. Right. hundred percent. I think that, again, just to remind, there's no right or wrong type. Like what you come out as is is perfect. It's what you were saying. It's how you can be more of who you are. And really own that and love that about yourself. So let's go into the fourth aspect, Rob. Sure. So this is our preference for structure. Uh, and the, the two terms that we've inherited with the, uh, the whole framework, judging and perceiving. Judging doesn't mean judgmental and perceiving doesn't mean perceptive. What it means is that judges are people who tend to prefer a little bit more structure in their lives. Uh, they like to have closure, so they're pushing for what the plan is, and then they can relax and back off a little bit. Uh, they tend to have a little bit more intensity around uh, time, so time is a precious commodity for them that they dole out in 15-minute increments. You know, If the meeting's supposed to start at 9, it should start at 9 o'clock as far as they're concerned. Uh, perceivers ha have a more sort of relaxed, casual, go-with-the-flow style about life. Uh, it's not that they're not serious, but their style is going to approach things quite differently. Uh, closure for them is not uh, a desired state. They're trying to keep their options open for as much as possible. So they'll push back on closure uh, and, and, and try to stay open. So it's one of those spots where I don't think the judging and perceiving dimension is as sort of significant a difference as some of the other aspects of personality but it's the one that little by little chips away at the quality of our relationships every day. It's the, the little tiny cuts uh, that uh, annoy people uh, because it's about style and how we approach our lives. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of like a million examples while you're talking. So is this another one of the um, aspects where there's a certain percentage of the population that's one over the other or not on this the way that it is with intuitive and sensors? Yeah, so there's probably slightly more judgers than perceivers, and maybe 55, 60% on the judging side. Mm -hmm. um, I will say this is a spot where we see pretty significant career selection uh, reflected. So uh, really time-intensive, structured, closure-focused uh, roles attract the judgers in higher percentages. And you know, go with the flow, you know, fly by the seat of your pants roles attract higher percentages of the perceivers because, you know, day by day, it's going to really make a big difference in their overall experience of it. Uh, so if you're keeping track of your timesheets in six-minute increments, 
you, that's a satisfying activity for a judger, um, or at least uh, perhaps more so than the perceivers. And for perceivers, it's, it really feels constricting, and they would prefer to just be in a, a spot where they didn't even know what to expect when they walked into the office. Yeah, it's so true. And actually, this is one when I went through the training for Myers-Briggs where the perceivers were, they they would say, oh, I wish I was more of a judger. And the judging judges would say, oh, I wish I had the perceiving tendency. And we were trying to say, no, you know, there's no right or wrong. But it's interesting because this one is a really sensitive spot, like you said. Um, I think there's a perception, though, that if you're a perceiver, and I think this is the way the perceivers were feeling, that people perceive them as not being able to be successful, but that's not in fact the case. Can you go into more about how um, the perceivers are at work? And then we'll go into the the judges, because this is one, I think, like I said, people do have envy of the other, the other preference. Yeah, no, it's absolutely right. So perceivers have to manage the perception of their style so that they don't get in trouble. I mean, a great anecdote uh, to sort of bring it to life. So I'm on the perceiving side, just as uh, as you are, Michelle. And I always get the same feedback every year in my performance review at a law firm where, you know, there's probably 80% judges in that environment. Um, and the feedback wasn't good. It was, you know, Rob does not show enough urgency around important deadlines. Uh, and I, you know, always sit, sort of sit back and I say, all right, um, can you look in the report and see that I didn't miss any deadlines. And they'd say, well, that's true. You didn't miss any deadlines. So I'm like, all right, so what you're really saying is that I need to look more stressed out. Uh, and they basically said, yes, that would be great. Um, yeah, and I'm laughing because we both worked in a law firm setting and I just remember we'd get a call for like a marketing package or something and my t- somebody on my team would come in and they the, the level of stress on their face because of the stress being put on them for something, I was like, you know what? This isn't life or death. Like, just, it's all good. They'll get their package in a timely way. But I think there was that sense of wanting to know that you were sweating it out. Um, so I think yeah, that's really funny. Exactly right. I mean, the judges feel the stress and they show the stress. And the perceivers work hard to not show it. So even when they're feeling it, their their goal is to keep their cool and what happens is the judges assume that if I'm not showing the same level of stress that they are, that I don't appreciate the urgency of the situation, that I'm not going to follow through on my obligation. So it's a trust issue. Uh, and it's really a perception management thing. So, you know, the the real rule for perceivers is don't tell the person to relax. Don't tell them chill out. Chill out. Certainly don't just sip your latte and stare at them. Uh, you know, try to match some of the the intensity and say, you know what, John, I get it. It's important. I'm all over this. It's going to go out in the next 25 minutes. I guarantee it. And they're going to say, oh, okay, you got it. Good, good, good. As opposed to the more playful, relaxed, casual style, which is my natural one, it's going to set off alarms for them. So many of my friends have the preference for for judging. And so they plan their vacations six months out. They know their whole summer to a T and they'll say, you know, what are your plans? And my husband and I are both perceivers. So I'm like, we're kind of winging it. Like, we'll take that vacation when we feel like we need it. And, and it's, it's, I think it's a perception that it's like, there's a lack of organization, which is not the case. It's really, it's a choice. And the truth is when I'm full on committed to making a trip happen or whatever, it gets done and it gets done well, and it gets done quickly. That's just the difference. It's just, it's not a long process. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And, and again, it's one of those spots where 
uh, people tend to review and evaluate others based on their own style and say, you know, there's either a deficiency or, well, you know, I wish I could be more like that. I, I will say this. Uh, most judges wish they could be more go with the flow, uh, and that's their learning curve. And most perceivers who are successful have absolutely learned the skill set of staying organized and, you know, paying attention to the the deadline piece. So it's another capacity versus preference uh, distinction, but it's one that shows up in, you know, uh, everyday moments. We had a, a woman in a workshop a few years ago, uh, and she's on the judging side of the equation. And her husband, she had the realization in the workshop was more on the perceiving side. And she stood up in front of 150 people, took the microphone, and she said, you know, life has gotten a lot better since <laughs> when we're going on a travel since we've decided to meet at the airport. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, it's so clear. That story is so clear, right? So one of them's the last minute, create, right? Packing, and the oh, we have plenty of time. And the other one wants to be at the airport two hours early. He's doing laundry while she wants to be in the oh, taxi. Oh yeah, so it is. Yeah. I mean, that's stressful. And actually, as a combination of perceiver with a perceiver, I tend to be more on the the judge judging side because the judger side because. I think there needs to be balance. And so it just brings out that part of you more because it can't be too loose either. Absolutely right. It's a balancing act on this one. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, the the growth that we have, regardless of our starting point, uh, is how we find enjoyment and success in life. You know, you it's not one of the ones where you really want to be way out on the edge and you have to force everyone to accommodate your style. Right. And also, I think it's important not to assume that you know somebody else's either, right? It's like really honoring them for who they are too. And it's actually funny because most of my friends think that I am a J. They do mm -hmm. think I'm a judger. And I'm like, oh, that's that's curious. So there must be other parts, which I want to, it's a transition to the next thing. Are there combinations of these, these aspects that create um, information that would be useful to the audience in terms of understanding how to maximize their strengths or handle stress? Absolutely. So the, the sum of the four categories is certainly greater than the parts. Uh, so there are 16 total combinations and there's a lot of nuance within each of those 16 categories and a huge variance. So I always say to people, especially those who are skeptical about the topic like I was when I first was introduced to it, that we're only uh, sort of reviewing these four parts of your personality, not the entirety of it. Uh, and so, you know, even though you might be in the same category as someone else, doesn't mean that you're the same person by any means. Um, but yeah, there are certain combinations that get at people's core values. And this is uh, really rich material uh, going back to that theme that we're talking about here, which is, you know, finding validation for who you really are and finding a place where you can be uh, that to the fullest extent. Uh, so certain combinations, so sensing combined with judging, uh, and those two uh, combinations really get at people who are grounded, practical, realistic, and planful, but their core values are around responsibility, dependability. These are folks who approach life with a you-can-count-on-me attitude, and most of their actions and statements can be traced back to their core desire to prove that reliability and responsibility. And so what we want to do is we want to find them a place in life where they get to do that. Um, and, you know, for them, if they're feeling the sense that the people around them are relying on them and they have a chance to be more and more responsible as they uh, progress through uh, their career or through, through their life, it's just really, really deeply satisfying. It's hitting their, their core needs. Um, the next group, sensing and perceiving types. Uh, so totally playful, relaxed and casual. 
um, in their style, but also grounded, practical, and realistic, are driven to jump in, take action, and get impressive results quickly. So they want to be in places where you know people are not forming committees; they're just getting stuff done, uh, and they want to be impressive. And I love telling them when they're thinking about their career planning to go where the action is, to be on the front lines where the excitement and the energy and the unknown resides, because. For them, that's where they're natural. Um, that's where they naturally fit. Uh, you know, they don't spend a lot of time planning or preparing for the future. They just want to parachute into a situation and handle it uh, in a way that very few people can. Uh, and then there's the NTs, intuition combined with thinking. For them, it's all about strategy, long-term uh, success, and competency. Uh, they want to be perceived as competent in things that they've chosen to be good at. And, you know, just like the other two, if they are perceived by people that they respect as being competent, they have enormous satisfaction in their work and in their perfect, their personal lives. Uh, and if they don't, they don't. And that's, it's like one of these like light switch things. If your core values are not being met, um, you're going to leave your job. You're going to feel dissatisfied. You're going to be in search of something that feels like it's missing. Uh, and then the final combination, Michelle, is yours, which is intuition. So big picture, future possibilities combined with feeling, which is uh, a focus on uh, people-based decision-making. And for them, that group, uh, it's all about helping others achieve their long-term potential. Uh, and so if you can find yourself in roles where uh, you have that sense that you've reshaped someone's future, that you've had a role in bringing out their fullest potential, uh, work doesn't feel like work at that point. It feels um, just like a deeply satisfying, you know, uh, energizing uh, activity, almost like a hobby. Uh, and, you know, I think if people had a better understanding of these core values and when making career decisions and also thinking about the work that's most satisfying for them, uh, everyone would be much, much happier. Yeah. I mean, as you're speaking and even what you were describing in terms of the combination of what my prefer preference types are, it resonated so much. It's why I launched this podcast. It's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing because I'm so deeply committed and so passionate about wanting to help other moms like feel that sense of contentment and fulfillment. And it's why I have you on because I think any tools that we have that allow us to have a new perspective or awareness on how we are or what our orientation is to the world, how we make our decisions, how we get our energy, then we have choice. We have choice in terms of, you know, which classes we take or which industries we go into. Um, I do want to leave the audience with actionable steps that they can take today. So I'm wondering, based on what we've talked about, Rob, is there anything that you can offer up to the women that are listening that says, hey, here's a step that you can take today to create that level of fulfillment and joy in your life, whether professionally or personally? Yeah. So if there were three things that I wanted to sort of pull out from our conversation to, to leave your audience with, uh, the first would be to look at the world through your strengths and consider, uh, is there a way for me to spend 50% of my time using my natural strengths? So, uh, you know, in our report through our personality type thing, we come up with five natural strengths for each of the, the different personality types. And when I look at people who are really having a successful and easy and really satisfying professional career, it's because they're using their strengths more than 50% of their, their average day. You know, not every day, you know, but if you take a, a typical Tuesday, they're spending most of their time uh, coming up with things that rely on their natural skill set. Uh, so, you know, if you're below 10%, if you review your current situation and you say, wow, geez, I mean, I'm way below that. You know, for me as a lawyer, I was probably spending 90% of my average day 
uh, not utilizing my natural strengths, but instead, you know, going against my preferences. You know, I'm an extrovert, and I was expected to work primarily by myself uh, all day long, right? And then I would be working on detail work, which is certainly something I can do. But for an intuitive by nature, it was draining work. So by the end of the day, I was completely exhausted. Uh, so you know, I, that was really part of what precipitated the big career change for me was this going into a spot where I can leverage my natural strengths at a much, much higher percentage. And, you know, on a good day here at Type Coach, I'm, you know, 70, 80 percent of the time. Uh, and it just it doesn't if honestly, Michelle, it feels like I'm cheating some days where uh, the work that I'm doing does not feel like work. And that's what I want everyone to feel, to be honest. Like, I, I've always loved the work I've done. And I don't know, I feel like life's too short. So I think that's really beautiful. And I hope that it inspires people to look at how they can bring in more of their strengths into the work that they're doing so that they can feel that sense of fulfillment, too. Yeah. So the the second thing on my list of sort of immediate things you can do tomorrow to improve uh, your whole situation is to find your tribe. Um, you know, find people who laugh at your jokes, who you know are striving towards the same goals that you have, uh, and you know who are you know ultimately uh, going to bolster and support you being you. Uh, and, you know, personality type can be really helpful in this because it gives you a language to articulate at least certain aspects of what's uniquely you. Uh, and, you know, and then it also allows you to distinguish between the people who get that and support that and those who don't understand it and don't really have the capability of supporting it, uh, which which leads to the third point. Um, and I have to give credit where it's due. Barbara Winter, who wrote this amazing book, Making a Living Without a Job. Um, you know, one of her sort of key principles is that, you know, as you go down an unconventional path or if you start heading down in our in our conversation, uh, a life towards one that's more consistent with your fundamental personality type, you're going to get feedback from all sorts of people in your life that you're crazy. That you're not heading in the right, the quote unquote right direction. Um, and I remember when I left the law firm, that was a very clear uh, source of frustration for a lot of people in my personal and professional lives. You're leaving the practice of law. I mean, you're working at a top firm. You're doing great. You must be crazy to leave, right? Yeah. And her three words of advice have stayed with me, and I'm going to offer them here, which is to consider the source. Mm. Um, you know, this person is sharing their worldview, and when you combine her insight with personality type, it all makes sense. Of course they're going to say that. They're giving you the conventional wisdom for their personality type based on their experience. And if their personality type is yours, you should listen up and pay very close attention to their wisdom. And if their personality type is not, then you get to discount a lot of what they say because it's just not going to be steering you in the right direction. Um, and, you know, that's been really helpful for me. You know, so finding my tribe, you know, I surround myself with people who, um, you know, I don't exclusively surround myself, but I want people who understand that, like, I've got some crazy new idea and I want to throw this out in front of them. And they're going to say, well, it's crazy, but I mean, here's something else you could do with it as opposed to it's crazy and I don't want to hang out with you because you're, <laughs> you're too weird. Um, so those are, those are some of the things that I highlight. Yeah, that's, they're all so wise. I love that so much. We'll wrap up with a few rapid fire questions, Rob. I'm wondering if there is a resource, whether it's a book, a course, um, a quote, just somebody who's most influenced or something that's most influenced your life. 
Oh yeah, it's hard to hard to pick just one, right? Um, is certainly the whole the the learning about the personality type space has been um, transformative, and I it's impossible for me to imagine my life without it, where I would have ended up. Um, and so I think some great resources uh, for that learning. I would recommend survival games, personalities play. Uh, by Eve DeLunis. This is a an amazing read that's going to turn on all sorts of light bulbs for uh, anyone who picks it up. Uh, and also, Please Understand Me by David Kiersey. Uh, both are great, uh, powerful primers on the subject matter. And in particular, we were touching today very briefly on the four temperaments, which is those core values that are resident inside our personalities. And both of these books really touch very, very thoroughly on that. So I think uh, your audience would, uh, if they've got curiosity on those lines, uh, find great resources there. So great. Thank you. And I'm wondering, you know, I think we're living in a world right now where um, the media, the news, everything that we're taking in is so negative and it's leaving us feeling like the world is an unsafe place and that um, people are, you know, out to get you and that it's just not a happy, good environment. And I just don't believe that from my core. I know that the majority of people are good at heart and they want good things. And part of this platform is to just be able to spread some inspiration and some good vibes. So can you share with uh, the audience a story, the happy story, something that might inspire, help people remember the goodness of others? Yeah, I mean, the, the stuff that happens all the time will be people coming up and saying, you know, I've been parenting my kid, you know, completely opposite of who they are. And it's destroyed my relationship with them. And then they'll report back, you know, just a few weeks later that, you know, gosh, Rob, I mean, just a few little adjustments and our relationship has blossomed. And now I don't feel like I'm an enemy. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, an ally supporting them on their journey as opposed to trying to get them to conform to coming over to my my path. Uh, and that's very powerful because I think so often we end up spending the first 50 years of our lives trying to identify who we are and what we want to do with our time on the planet, sort of um, breaking down the, the programming that our parents and our culture have placed upon us. Uh, and you know, that's a very inefficient way to do it. <laughs> so my hope is that um, this awareness of our personality differences will allow people to more quickly understand where they should be um, you know, spending the majority of their time from an energy perspective, from a fulfillment perspective, from a satisfaction perspective, and, you know, get right to it as opposed to spending 50 years trying to uh, fulfill someone else's definition of success. Yeah, that's really so, so great. And it's so nice to hear that something you taught somebody helped them improve their relationship with their child because there's nothing more important to a parent than that connection with their children. So that's so beautiful. Um, you know, you had mentioned to me, so in your entrepreneurial lifestyle that you're creating, that you're now um, starting uh, even a new venture. Is that right? Do, would you like <laughs> yeah. to share about the Idea Factory with the audience? Oh, yeah. Well, you can't, you can't once you get me started talking about it. So uh, I think um, as an idea person, I love coming up with ideas. And one of the realizations we've had over the years is that I've got a lot of extra ideas and I don't want to devote a lot of my uh, current focus to, you know, something that, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time for. Uh, so my, my friend and I have created this uh, new platform called the idea factory where people can contribute in ideas that they have that they don't have time to pursue. And we're going to pair them up with people who are really good at taking an idea and running with it and making it real. 
Uh, and so selfishly for me, I've got, you know, eight or nine ideas that I'm uh, optimistic we can get uh, launched through this uh, vehicle. And I'm also excited to connect a lot of idea people with a, a lot of execution people to uh, accelerate the process of having an idea and then seeing it come to fruition. That's so great. I have like five ideas I'm going to post there. <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So how would people be able to learn more about your work, Rob? Where can we send them and where can they learn about the Idea Factory? Sure. So uh, the core business is Type Coach and they can go to typecoach.com. So T-Y-P-E-C-O-A-C-H.com. And the Idea Factory's website is theradicalidea.com. It's great. Um, it's been so wonderful having you on. I love this conversation so much and could talk to you for another five hours. Um, but we'll hopefully have you back on the show and go deeper on maybe other aspects of how type can benefit people's lives. Fantastic, Michelle. Well, I'm thrilled to have been invited and to have spent the time with you and I really uh, love what you're doing here. Oh, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I'd love to hear what resonated with you. So come on over to the goodlifecoach.com podcast page. While you're there, you can look at all the show notes from today's episode and join my newsletter. As a thank you, you'll receive the first chapter of my book for free. Thanks so much for listening and bye for now.